0: Okay, good morning everyone. Today we're going to do Day 19, um, Sukkot, dwelling in Hashem's hug. When talking about Sukkot, we need to pose a few questions, uh, as we usually do, in order to set the ground for, um, for, for the general understanding of the holidays. Sukkot, if we look in the Torah, Sukkot, God says, you shall dwell in the sukkah seven days. Now, the idea of a sukkah is very interesting because the, because because uh, sukkah is an all-encompassing thing. Anyone that learned some Hasidus and Kabbalah knows that in Hasidus and Kabbalah, there are two types of light. Encompassing light and uh, internal light. The sukkah is a uh, encompassing light. Encompassing light means that a person is completely enveloped in it. I don't wanna go into great length into the explanation, the difference between encompassing light and internal light, but the main difference between encompassing light and internal light is that encompassing light, the way it affects the person, it's by sucking the person into it. When you're enveloped in light, so, obviously, we're not talking about physical light. We're talking about a certain perspective. We're talking about a certain revelation. We're talking about a certain feeling that envelops us and surrounds us. The idea of that light is to lift us up to a whole different sphere, to lift us up to a whole different realm. And when that happens, it takes us to a different place. It affects us in ways that um, the way it affects us is not in a way that it permeates us. It's not in a way of convincing us, but rather it envelops us. The best best example for that would be, uh, the best example for that would be when talking about, um, it's not actually an example. There's actually a very nice folklore story um, that, that really helps understand this idea. The story goes that once upon a time, the sun and the wind had a big argument. Who is stronger? And uh, they decided to make a contest. Uh, the wind obviously said, I am uh, I'm much more powerful. I, I blow and I, uh, and I could make hurricanes and things like that. So they decided to make a contest who could get off the coat from uh, from that person's back, who could get that person to take off his coat. So the wind goes first. And I'm, I'm sure you know, you're already figuring out the end of the story that um, the, the, the the wind starts blowing and blowing. What happens to a person that the wind is blowing on him? He goes and he, he closes the coat even stronger. He becomes more. Um, he becomes more. Uh, how do you say more defensive? And and uh, and after closing the coat, he closes the belt on the coat. And then after closing the belt on the coat, he closes his hands like this. Then the sun says, "Okay, let me take over," and the sun just starts shining and it caresses the person with some uh, sunlight and warmth. And slowly but surely, the person opens his hand, then he opens his belt, then he opens up his buttons, and then he takes off his coat. What, what, is, the, what is the idea behind the story? Obviously, I'm sure you don't have to be a genius to, to refute the story um, with all different types of refutations. Uh, what do you want? The coat is like this, coat is like that, the two hands in the coat. That's not the idea. The idea is that there's two ways to convince a person. There's one way to convince a person by talking to him internally. Internally means that you're going into his kishkes, you convince the person, you're going into the logic of the person, you argue with the person, you explain to the person, you do the whole convincing. Then there's another way of taking over a person that you don't necessarily convince him. In other words, you're not trying to permeate him, you're not trying to go into the kishkas of that person, but rather... What you try to do is you try to lift that person to a different sphere, to a different realm. You make him such a paradigm shift that that, uh, he doesn't necessarily even understand what he sees, how he sees it differently now, but suddenly something shifted completely. It's not necessarily things that he could understand, but suddenly the person feels loved. The person feels accepted. The person, then automatically, so many things change. I can't really explain to you. That's why you'll see Hasidim have a lot of things that they do that are not necessarily so logical and left brain and analytic. Hasidim sit in You don't come to a Fabrengen usually with a, with a pen and paper and you take notes. That's not usually what you do at a fabrengin. But ask people, they'll tell you the Fabrengens had the biggest impact on their lives. How so? That's called encompassing light. The atmosphere is enveloping. It's it's taking the person into a different world. It's all encompassing. It's not detailed, it's not pervasive, it's not permeating. That's really also the difference between a hug and a kiss. A kiss is very detailed. A kiss is an expression, I love a certain thing of you. My son says something smart, I will go over and I'll kiss his forehead. A kiss comes from a delicate place in me, and it goes to a delicate place in my son, to the part of my son that I appreciate. Foreheads represents his wisdom. I give him a kiss on the forehead, so I'm saying that I love and appreciate your wisdom, your cleverness, so on and so forth. What is a hug? A hug is all-encompassing. All-encompassing means I love you. It's not something of you. It's I, my essential I, loves the essential you. That's why the hug includes the back. The back is not unique. If you see someone's back without seeing anything else, you won't necessarily recognize the person. The back shows also the things that are not necessarily unique about me, but I love you. That's the idea of a hug. Sukkot, now after we have that introduction, comes Hasidus, and says something very interesting. What's going on? The Torah says, in the Sukkah, you should dwell for seven days. That seemingly, for us, is going to look a bit weird. That Chassidus makes such a fuss from from a from a contradiction that doesn't look like a contradiction. But that's because we're not so used to the Kabbalistic. A second only, we're not so we're not so used to Kabbalistic lingo, so it doesn't look so uh, enigmatic to us. But from a Kabbalistic perspective, there's a major contradiction in this verse. What is the contradiction? On one hand, we say you should we- you should be in a sukkah. Sukkah is all enveloping. The Holy Rebbe Yitzhak of Barditchov said that sukkah is the greatest mitzvah, the only mitzvah that you walk in with your boots and with the dirt, with the mud. <coughs> with the mud that is on your boots. What, what does that mean metaphorically speaking what does it mean to walk into a mitzvah with the boots and with the mud that is on the boots it's saying very simple it's saying that in yom kippur shoshana you have to clean yourself you have to come dressed up you have to, you have to you have to be, be different you have to change yourself Sukkot is a holiday that you walk in with your boots and with the mud that is on your boots what are, what are you basically saying saying It's all enveloping. It's unconditional love. It's all encompassing. So, ask siddes that this verse looks like an oxymoron. On one hand, it says in the sukkah you shall dwell. Dwell means internalize. ones. Dwell means eating, drinking, sleeping. Yeah, chabad custom is not to sleep in the sukkah, but um, based on the Ashkenazi custom. But but in general, in halacha. A person is meant to spend everything of his life on on sukkahs in the sukkah. To the extent that on sukkahs we have another mitzvah, which is taking the four species. This year with lockdown, try to get your uh, four species early. But um, th- what what is the what is the the four species? What do you if I would uh, if I would uh, test your uh, your Hasidic math? What do you think the four species are, internal light or encompassing light? Tell me what you think and why. I would say encompassing in in the methods that they're brought in together. Yeah, they're brought in together, that is is actually the proof the other way around. Because there's a lot of details over here that you're trying to unite. But the fact that there are details, they're very, they're very deep. Encompassing is one. Details. That's also the reason why there's a lot of different. Um, there's a lot of different uh, hints in the four species. The 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 etrog is the heart. The willows are the eyes. The um, the the, the lula branch is the spine. There are, uh, there are different hints that it's talking about, different types of Jews. The esrog has a smell and a taste that refers to the people that also learn Torah and also do actions. The, the, the lulav has a taste. Yeah, it's a palm tree, so it has a taste without a smell. That, that refers to people that do actions without learning Torah. Then there's the willow branches that don't have, um, they, don't have the, uh, they don't have both. The myrtles have a smell, but they don't have a taste. There, there's a lot of hints that are connected. They also correspond to different spirot. The idea of the etrog and the lulav is a very detailed thing. The fact that you're uniting them is like you, like Avi said, uniting details. But that is the idea of the, the, but the actual four species, the fact that you have four and four different types, shows that it's very, very individual, very internal. Now, according to halacha, that mitzvah of taking the four species has nothing to do with the sukkah. Comes Kabbalah, and Kabbalah says, where should we take the lulav and esrog? Where should we fulfill the mitzvah of the lulav and esrog? In the sukkah. That's why Hasidim will always, before davening, or before Hallel, they'll go out, even if they're in the middle of davening, they'll go out to the sukkah, make a bracha on the lulav of an esrog, shake it in the sukkah, and then come back for the prayers with the lulav. Why? Because the whole idea of sukkahs, according to Kabbalah, is to combine the encompassing light and the internal light. Basukat Teshgu, you shall dwell, which dwelling is internal in the sukkah which is encompassing. If we don't shake the Lulav and Etrog in a sukkah, are we not completely fulfilling the mitzvah? No, you're yeah, completely fulfilling the mitzvah according to Allah. According to Kabbalah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you should do it in the sukkah because that's really what what that, that's what we're going to see. That's really the secret of sukkahs. The combination, like the verse says, in the sukkah you should dwell, the combination of the two. But we're not done yet. This is just creating the platform to understanding what is it, what does it mean? What does it mean, sukkahs? We said that Elo is the courtship, Rosh Hashanah, is the proposal, Sukkot, is the chuppah, where God says, yes, I want to marry you, I want to become one with you, I want to be connected to you. What comes after the chuppah? Something very interesting that is pretty universal, that after the couple... does their vows under a chuppah and a ceremony. There's a very weird universal custom. I think it goes across all cultures. I'm not sure all. I don't know all the cultures, but it's something pretty universal. And really, if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, a man and a woman decide that they're going to make a covenant between themselves to live together for the rest of their lives and they after they do that ceremony they make a point of giving you a meal the meal could be two course three course meal they'll make sure that you also have something to drink and then they'll have music and have you dance i know it's like that in jewish culture i think western culture islamic culture I don't know too much about Buddhist culture, Indian culture, but I think it's pretty much across the board that when two people get married, they have make a point to invite guests and there's food and dancing. Why, like I think most people are like that, besides people that get married in street corners in Vegas. Yeah. But um, we're talking about normal people. Normal people, they get married, They want to make a point that there should be guests that will eat and drink and dance. Why? Who cares? I love someone, and I decided to devote my life to living together with her for the rest of my life. Like, why is it your business, first of all? And why is it important for me that it's your business? Should come and eat and dance. And we see something very interesting if we were talking about sukkahs. the dancing part we know. Right, Sukkot is the most festive holiday that we have. The samachta b'chagecha. Every night there's dancing in the temple. They used to dance every night the whole night on Sukkot. Nowadays, the Rebbe asks that we should also do it in the, in the, in the, in, the, in Kran Heights. They dance every morning to seven o'clock to seven a.m. Over here in Jerusalem, different circles have different customs. But almost every shul will have at least one night of dancing. Some shuls will have, like for example, the Karlina citizens over here. The first night they dance till eleven. The next night till twelve. The next night to one. The next to two. The next three. It's crazy. The whole Jerusalem is dancing. I don't know what's going to happen with the Corona this year, but dancing on on is something that is unbelievable. But there's even something even more fascinating that reminds us of the casta, of the idea of of guests. How many oxen do we bring Sukkot? Who remembers every day in our Musaf prayers and sukkahs we say how many oxen they sacrificed that day. On the first day it's 13, then comes 12, then uh, then 11, then 10, then 9, then 8, then 7. If you do the calculation together, it's going to be 70. Tells us the Talmud, the reason for the 70 is because there are 70 nations. Seventy includes all the 70 nations of the world. And the reason why we bring 70 oxen, according to the Talmud, which the Talmud doesn't reveal to us the secrets of Kabbalah, is because Sukkot is the holiday that we pray also for all the nations of the world. That sounds quite interesting. Since when do Jews have a holiday with guests? All the nations come like it's something personal. It's our temple. And it's the only holiday that we bring 70 oxen praying for all the nations of the world. Reminds us a bit of a wedding where we don't know the reason yet, but it's interesting that in all cultures, people want guests to show up. And people make a point, even stingy people, by the way. Even stingy people, when they're happy and they're marrying, they're getting married, or they're marrying off their child, they want to make a point that the guests have good food. It's an interesting phenomenon. I want to say even more. After Sukkot comes a holiday called Shmini Atzeres, that we only bring one oxen. What does the Talmud say? What does the Midrash say? Why do we only bring one axon in Shemini You know why? Because after the 70 oxen of Sukkot, God says, now that all the guests are gone, now I want to be only with you. With you one and only. That's why we have another holiday. It's not considered to be one of the three pilgrimages, but it's a new holiday just be aware of that. That we have to make a Yonu. We make a new blessing for a new holiday. It's completely a new holiday, but only one oxen, because we had enough. We had seventy oxen. We had all the guests over here. Now all the guests are gone. Now we're going to be in private. now. Now we're now we're going to have private time. So we see that it's a theme on sukkahs. The dancing is a theme on sukkahs the dwelling, which dwelling is very internal, the eating, drinking, now we see that Sukkot is also very encompassing, like the Holy Revlevit Yitzhak of said, that we, the only uh, holiday, wa- the only mitzvah that we walk in with our shoes and with our boots and the mud on our boots. So Ratzah tried to understand what is the depth of sukkahs? What does it mean to dwell in God's hog? So let's try to understand why do we make a holiday? Why, I'm sorry, why do we make a wedding? Why is it important to us after we give our vows and we, we make a covenant with someone that we want everyone to celebrate? So let me share with you what Hasidus says. The Chuppah is very, very elusive. The Chuppah is very holy. It's very special, not only holy in terms of religion, it's a a very, very abstract moment. It's two people, it's like it's surreal. Two people making a covenant, like nowadays, you think about it, like almost like you almost want to laugh, which which that which which that is a reason to cry. But how many people like really the idea of people committing to each other? I just heard a, a great line from a very smart woman. She said, nowadays we all have at least a few partners in our lives. Some of us that have erratic intelligence have that. Three relationships with the same person. But, but, but what is the idea? The, the idea is that that, that the, it's surreal. It's surreal to commit your life to one person. If you're very smart, you change along with that person. But the, 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 the idea is surreal. That's why that's why the chuppah, no one eats under the chuppah. No one answers phone under the chuppah. Nowadays, people try to laugh under the chuppah, but the chuppah is not really a time of laughter. It's a a real black tie event. But that is also the problem. What is the problem? The problem is that it's too up there. We want to take that and bring it down into the world. We want it to take root in the world. We want to take that elusive, encompassing, unconditional love that is being expressed on Yom Kippur and we want to live it we want to internalize it that's the idea of sukkahs. that's the idea of bringing guests why do I need guests why do I need my next door neighbor to eat my chicken or my meat you know what they're eating they're not eating my chicken they're not eating my meat they're not eating my salmon fish you know what they're eating Let's say Adam and Eve get married, just using the names. Adam and Eve are standing under the chuppah and getting married. So that vow, that love is so elusive when they're eating my piece of salmon and my piece of chicken and drinking a a good shot of, what are they eating? What are they drinking? The concept of Adam and Eve becoming one now they're eating it, they're internalizing it. It permeates them. I want the neighbor from across the road to know about it because I want that love to be, to hit, to, to take root in the world. Therefore, this leads us to another very interesting concept. Sukkot is not a step lower than Yom Kippur. It's the next step. Some people think that it's all about Yom Kippur. Some people think it's all about the elusiveness, the holiness of Yom Kippur. Hasidah says, no, 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 that's so holy, that's so special, that's so amazing. But it has one big problem that it's up there. We want it down here. We want to internalize it. That's why we bring all the guests. That's why we eat, we drink to internalize it. Eating and drinking is the ultimate internalization. And then we start dancing. What does dancing mean? That it permeates every part of our body. It permeates every part of our psyche. That's why dancing is even with the feet. You don't dance only with your head. It permeates the world. It permeates the inhabitants of the world. Sitting in the sukkah. What is the sukkah? What is the schach? What is the schach of the sukkah? On the holy, on the holiest day of the year, which is Yom Kippur, the high priest walks into the holy of holies with a pan. That on the pan there are coals, and on the coals there are incense. He walks into the holy of holies, the only day of the year that he walks in the holy of holies, the most intimate, the most, the most special time of the year, the Jewish people are going into the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies is called a bedroom. The Jewish people walk into that Holy of Holies with with, the incense that creates smoke. The smoke goes up to the ceiling. What happens when smoke hits the ceiling? It starts spreading on the ceiling, says Kabbalah that the smoke on the ceiling is what manifests afterwards and becomes the schach of the sukkah. The chuppah is beautiful. The chuppah is special. But it's up there. It's in la-la land. We want to bring it down. So we're going to take that schach, that sukkah, that encompassing light, that elusive, unconditional love, that hug, but we're going to internalize it, we're going to eat it, we're going to drink it, we're going to dance it, and we're going to live it. And we're going to live it with the whole world. We're going to announce the whole world that love that we have, which by the way, that is our biggest issue. Jews are the only people in the world that when you tell them that they're the chosen people, they all become liberal, liberal on you, and they tell you no, it can't be. Tell it to a French tell it to a Russian, tell it to anyone. Say, oh, I'm proud of who I am. Tell a Jew, be proud that you're Jewish. No, 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 we're not any better, no, no. That's our biggest problem. We don't really believe that God loves us. Could you ever imagine telling a woman how much you love her and she's the one and only woman in the world that you love and say, no, 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 it's not fair, what's with my sister? What's with my neighbor? I, by the way, I have a very cute co-worker. I think you should love her too. We need to celebrate it. We need to internalize it. And we need to do it in front of a lot of guests. Let the world know. Obviously, all the guests are also going to get from it because when God loves the Jewish people in an open, revealed way, the world is going to be healed. The world is going to benefit from it. It's not not true what the Gemara says that we that we have seventy oxen from all the nations, but all the nations are benefiting from participating in our marriage. So Sukkot is sitting in God's hug, but internalizing God's hug. Basukot teishvu shivat yamim in the encompassing light, you shall dwell. And internalize. Eat, drink, spend time with your family, and take the lulav and etrog in the sukkah. Where do what, the lulav and etrog we said is internalized? Where do we where do we take the etrog to? According to Kabbalah, we take the etrog to our breasts. Listen to this says Kabbalah, the reason why, where should you take the etrog to? Where should it touch on your body? The same place that you symbolically hit on Yom Kippur. Who remembers? What is the reason why we say, why do we hit over here on Yom Kippur? We ask the question, in Yom Kippur there's no sins. So why do you hit your breasts on Yom Kippur? Why? Because you want to internalize that light. So that is the same idea, the same idea of hitting your breast on Yom Kippur is taking the Lul of an etrog, you have the lul of that is like a big ante- a t- antenna, goes all the way up to the schach and you take it through the etrog, which the etrog is the heart, and you bring it to your internal kishkis. To the same place that you asked I'm sorry for on Yom Kippur. Because the reason why you asked I'm sorry, Yom Kippur, was because you wanted to clear up the air in the internal realm, in the revelation realm, in the give and take realm. Because you didn't want to just stay up there in La La Land in the elusive, unbelievable revelation of Under Al To be continued tomorrow. Have a beautiful, beautiful day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Have anybody heard about Rabbi Kaufman? Amazing. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. I you hear about Rabbi Kaufman's class? Not yet. I'll try and log on to it.